ये इंटरनेशनल गेम है सुनील दिमाग से खेला जाता है गुस्से से नहीं Welcome to episode 105 of Hoop Darshan. Hoop Darshan. Episode number 105 Karan we are now we are now well into the the second half of the hundreds or the or the first first tens I don't even know what I'm saying now that's just how <laughs> how, how crazy things the are in the world of the one thing yeah yeah okay that's that's fair enough that's fair it, enough it sounds weird as hell whatever it's called it, yeah yeah it's pretty weird uh but it is also the year of um of the nba finals which was probably like the the lowest scoring nba finals that i can remember in my lifetime i just double check the scores right in yeah. um for the 2005 finals can you guess it went to game 7 obviously right spurs yeah. winning over over the detroit pistons um can you guess how many games went to a score where at least one team scored more than 100 points oh zero right I, I, I want all those games around 80 uh, yeah yeah you're right like the average felt definitely like 80 but um yeah it was just one um one game where one of the two teams went above 100 and and another game where the game went to overtime and it finished like 96 89 or something like that <laughs> which is like the third quarter score in like many games these days um, exactly and and i bet that until you reveal that it was spurs versus pistons i bet off the top of their heads our listeners won't have been able to remember like 2005 what exactly happened because it you know uh, with with all respect to the fans the fan bases of san antonio and detroit these are probably one of the most one of the least memorable finals in a long time i would say uh, yes just relative to other finals not not that these finals weren't important it's just that other ones felt a lot more memorable absolutely absolutely but obviously tim duncan dominated this particular finals and the legend legend of his game uh was starting to grow um and the legend of some other uh, other players might start to grow but we'll talk about nba stuff later we've got a got a few different indian basketball news items to catch up on karan uh sure. what what can you tell our listeners in the in the world of indian basketball yeah a lot has happened since we um in our last episode we we made it completely nba preview so we sort of skipped over i would say a month maybe a month and a half of indian basketball uh, you know our usual indian basketball bulletin as we like to go um so i'll start with um, it, it was kind of a, a positive news is that the bfi um they said that they're announcing um, medical and health insurances to what they have deemed quote unquote national assets Uh, by national assets they mean male and female players who have been attending national coaching camp for international competitions um as you all know um india has you know we had the miracle when vishesh bhagwanshi hit that uh, floating game winning three which made sure we didn't finish last in our group and we we may have a play in chance i'm going to call it a play in into getting the fiba asia cup um yes. and then of course the, there's the women's fiba asia cup too so 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 all the players who were in national camp and I guess you know because of covid the, the camps shut down the BFI claimed that they'll be providing um uh, health insurances to these players now I'm sure in other countries people are like what <laughs> your national players don't get health insurances 
no they don't this is like <laughs> it's it's india things are different here so so this is good news uh yeah but better late than never i guess karan and of course just to be clear not 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 all basketball players who are in the system who are getting it and obviously there's no professionals yet we'll get to that later uh, with yes. some other i would say good news but um uh, I, i'm just i'm just shocked that like this this good news that can come out of the basketball that <laughs> <yet, so. laughs> we'll take yes, we'll take like, anything that comes right now now i'll be honest there's a big difference in india between announcing something will be done and something actually being done And, yes. and and we can say that from like a lifetime of listening to politicians or um, the last month of listening to politicians so uh, <laughs> uh yeah it's uh, i have no proof that this is actually being done but it has been announced so at least and the fact that we are doubling down here at least we hope that this conversation will keep a few people honest <laughs> let's hope so um yes in 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 other good news and you know we have to sort of grab straws of good news because of you know the pandemic in india things are bad i do want to give a shout out to a couple of national indian basketball players uh who who are doing some very positive initiatives so shreen limai vishesh bhrigumanshi raspreet sidhu all these three names are not just like i would say they are prob- they are regular starters and have been for the past decade of in on india's male and female teams they are you know some of the biggest stars they have all um Uh, held initiatives to encourage fans to donate to covid relief funds and then giving them a chance to uh, win memorabilia of the players so like for example game worn jersey signed jersey signed basketball stuff like that so i think um that was a really cool initiative by these players and you know in indian basketball players aren't obviously the biggest celebrities as our other athletes are but the fact that they are big enough celebrities for this to warrant Uh, their attention and for people to participate i think that's an encouraging sign absolutely absolutely and you're right like in with everything that's going on um, a little bit of sort of positivity coming from from these players and encouragement to actually like rile up the the, the fans and and get get something going right it's it's really great to see speaking of um, indian basketball celebrities um we must give a shout out to principal singh the only indian who played in the g league this year the third indian to play in the g league uh, mm-hmm. he was with the uh, g league impact squad so his season is over it, it's been over for over a month now um he really did not have the most memorable season he he barely got to play and i would say uh, out of the three indian players who have played in the g league so uh, the satam amjot and him he's probably had the least impact of them all um mm-hmm. and and that's partly because of the team he was in the team he was in is like a really super loaded team it's like you know an all-star team for the g league players you know in a way um yeah so when his season was over he he gave an interview where uh, he he did say cautioning that he's unsure if he will return to the the g league impact team i think he mentioned that he, he he's going to he's open to the idea of declaring for the nba draft actually um mm-hmm. as well as trying for other g league teams and i would honestly uh if i could suggest principal i would say try for other g league teams because opening himself to the nba draft he is not ready right now uh it's not even close yeah. if you, if if you are not close to being a regular contributor to the g league uh being drafted in the nba w- would would only be a token thing for him being indian which has already happened with satnam uh because he would end up spending most of his time back in the g league at best So um, 
I, w- I would just say keep up the grind. You know, hopefully choose a team that gives him more opportunities, more minutes, uh, and gives him a chance to actually, you know, or, or organically be seen by the NBA as a guy who can contribute in the future. Exactly, exactly. And I think you're right. You, you nailed it when you said that he was part of a team where it was, it was going to be always going to be difficult for him to get minutes because it's the G League. It's like a like an all star team almost of those who uh, who skipped. I guess college or or anything like that to go there, and also like all international NBA academy players sort of getting there, and and most of the foreign players also tended to be like big guys, so he was always going to be quite like deep into the rotation, and he didn't really crack it, and that's it's hard, right? And so it's not like it's not necessarily anything that's sort of against uh, principal thing right now, but these things these things take time, and um, definitely. Going through another G League team and maybe like finding his way into minutes is definitely the best way forward rather than you know jumping into the NBA draft. Yeah, and it's you know it's no insult to be that you made it to G League and you know really the 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 percentile of players that make it to the NBA. You know later on when when we do our NBA roundup in this episode, we we, we are bound to make fun of some certain players who you know who don't contribute who don't play well enough. But but even like the most embarrassing worst player in the NBA is like in the percentile of of human beings who's so much so much better at basketball than everybody else. So even yes. to be that, you have to be so damn good. Uh, and for a principal to even be in the periphery of that, to be in sniffing distance of that, is amazing. Now I'm not saying he can't get there, but um, he he has to be patient. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of um, patience, Karan. Yes. There's there's something that that. We have shown patience for in a long, long time, and <laughs> and I, I suppose like it's not a full, it's not a full outcome of this patience, but like there's steps being taken by the BFI again. Yeah, some good steps. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell uh, our listeners what what I'm cryptically trying to unveil? <laughs> uh, some more good news. So uh, I mean, you guys must be aware of 3BL. We have uh, featured 3BL players and, you know, including the 3BL CEO on our podcast in the past, Rohit Shetty. We have um, uh, featured players from the 3BL in the past. It, 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 pre-pandemic, it was this growing three-on-three um, Indian Basketball League, and which was actually got affiliation to the B, to, to FIBA. So, which means that, like, they, they were FIBA recognized. But <laughs> funnily enough, they were not BFI recognized. Because BFI doesn't recognize any any other league that they didn't create themselves, which always felt kind of stupid because someone else was doing the job that they should have done. And I think it was a lot of embarrassment that they didn't recognize these leagues. And I'm glad yeah, they finally I, come around. <laughs> the BFI has granted recognition to the 3BL. Uh, it was done about, um, again, this was about uh, a month ago now, or I would say three weeks ago. Uh, about which time, is great you mean? Because, uh, yeah, at some point in time. Which... You know, dude, which is great because finally now, you know, not that, um, you know, not that it's easy again to, we're going to use the same same thing we said about Principal, you know, it's it's nothing easy in the world of Zaza Pachulia. But, but, but India can now theoretically have a BFI affiliate team that can make it to international tournaments like the Olympics uh, through the 3BL, right? Um and and we will find it easier to make it through three on three basketball than five on five basketball. We have discussed this actually on our podcast before. Obviously, the, the competition's a bit more random, a bit more spread out, a bit easier for teams like India to sneak in. So uh, again, good move by the BFI. Wow, we, we're on a roll here, Koshik. We've complimented the BFI yeah, so know, much right? today. What the hell? It's crazy. 
<laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, that such are the times we're living in. Current, we have to do. <laughs> we have to do these things. <laughs> uh, one last piece of uh, Indian basketball news. I think another another good news today. Yes. Um, I will let you do the honors because I just honestly like I don't I know how to say the name. <laughs> I'm gonna. Yeah. Well, let's both attempt to uh, pronounce and completely butcher this talented young man's name, which who I apologize in advance. Um, NBA Academy India, you know, the graduates are. Every time we do this podcast now, there's at least one new name, male name or female name that is now signing abroad somewhere, and um, it's it's kind of exciting. Like the, this dream of NBA Academy India of you know, they're not gonna just make NBA players, but they are they are uh, honing these players to at least be the type of players who are getting attention from US academies and US colleges, you know, which is. Uh, uh which is giving them a chance to be student athletes so that's awesome the latest in the list is <clears throat> okay here we go lalnepuya chakchuk lalnepuya chakchuk who I is the like latest you did a good job there yeah lalnepuya chakchuk he has committed to north park university um and i'm hoping that we will uh we'll be able to invite lalnepuya in the pipeline to hoop darshan to talk about his journey a little bit more and hopefully you know virtually slap us for mis- mispronouncing his name <laughs> maybe do a better job than we did Let's teach us how to do it properly but anyways congrats lanipuya for this and um, yeah uh, just another another player to come out of this academy who are who continue to now uh, at least take one step forward it, it, it was always going to be baby steps and and this is the first step forward of these players signing these um, these commitments to be student athletes yeah it's it's wonderful news every time we break we we talk about something like this it means that finally like after all of these years we finally have a a grassroots system right and it's starting to slowly bear fruit um whether this will lead to like a first nba player uh we don't we don't know when or or if it will be i, I i'd like to think it's a question of when rather than if um but yeah these kind of things happening slowly and gaining momentum over time is is definitely great for the for the world of indian basketball and i think current that's a that's a great segue to talk about our special guest for today because uh it is someone affiliated with the nba uh, india academy yeah I, we couldn't have a time that segue better actually our uh, our guest today is mark pulis who is the director of nba india nba india's basketball operations and has worked very closely with a number of these players that that have uh, sprung out of the academy to, to sign to other places, including Principal Singh, including a bunch of other players like Aman Sanduri and Chunegi. Uh, so, uh, Mark Pulis is a Spaniard. And so, just full disclosure, we recorded this interview about a month ago. So, a lot of the conversation might be a little bit dated, but the, the stuff he talks about is super interesting. He, he talks about how uh, basketball players from the academy were being honed, how they're being scouted. talks about his job working around india traveling around india pre pandemic how things have changed um, to like sort of coaching nba academy students during the pandemic they're doing it virtually and uh, i think the the best part of this conversation at least for you and i was the deep dive we did on luka doncic because he coached luka when luka was a professional player in spain back in the day uh, so which is amazing to talk about because on the day we're recording we're recording this on june 5th Luka is still alive in the playoffs. It's three on three, three three versus the Clippers, and he's been 
an absolute bombshell of basketball uh, for the last few weeks. So um, do tune in for this conversation, our interview with Mark Pulis. So I'm here with Mark Pulis himself. He's a director of basketball operations for NBA India. Uh, Mark, how are you doing? Welcome to Hoop Darshan. Hey, nice, nice to be here with you guys. Thank so, you for having me. So first of all, did I pronounce your name correctly? I should probably check before introducing you. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, technically it's okay. I mean, everybody calls me that, but but if you want to say it properly, it's Puyes. Mark Puyes. It's more okay. like a. Yeah, you, you say it better now, but it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I'm I'm pretty used to. No, so Kaushik and I are both uh, big fans of both Spanish basketball and Spanish football. So we're a little bit used to saying, you know, Spanish. Like I think like Puyol is a similar way of the L, right? Puyol, correct. Puyol. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. So correct. We've been there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was thinking yeah, technically you like can David Villa. Yeah, you can say exactly like Puyol. Sort of um. So uh, just to introduce you guys to Mark. He has spent a lot of time scouting, honing, and leading the talents of players at the NBA India Academy in Greater Noida. And of course, as the director of you know operations, he's had such a close eye on the on-ground op- operational growth of basketball activities for all, all over for the NBA in, uh, in the grassroots areas in India. So, Mark, I want to f- start straight away with a question about Principal Singh. Um, you were you were recently quoted in an article by Mirren Fader on the Ringer about Principal. I don't know if you know, but Mirren was our previous guest a few weeks ago. She was on Hoop Darshan too, and we talked about Principal. We talked about the story a lot. Um, so from from your perspective, like you have seen him really grow up from from basically his very early days, right? Like how old was he when you were first introduced to him at the academy? Ah, uh, I met Principal the first time when he was sixteen. Okay. He was playing barely for like a year and a half hmm. when I met him. And of course, I mean, at the very beginning, you could see that he was uh, different. I mean, that he was different. He he had something that that we were not seen before. So so that's why that's why we put the eye on him. And of course, of course, that was I mean, that was very, very close to my first times in India. I think it was like the, the first or second month I was there. Uh, and, and we went to watch him play for, you know, in a tournament in Mumbai where Punjab was playing. And and we kind of uh, saw him and, and we saw, we saw that, that he was uh, tall, he was athletic, he was physical, he had this touch for the ball, he was able to run, jump. So that's when we we saw we saw him for first time. But of course, he was very raw. No, he was. I mean, far from what is right now, uh, and and definitely with the evolution that he had at the NBA Academy India and in the Global Academy. Then of course, now at the G League, you can see how he is learning so fast, and also he's like burning stages so fast. Usually, mm-hmm. usually kids it takes a while. No, I mean they they, they start playing when they are like. Young, when they are younger, maybe like nine, 10, 11, he started when he was 14 ish. So he's kind of speeding up things. So that last issue is something that, you know, uh, I spoke about with Mirin, and it's something I've, spo- I've spoken about with a lot of, um, I've spoken to a lot of Punjabi players, especially who've come out and, you know, made it big, whether it's Amjot Singh, Amrit Pal Singh. I think in a lot of their cases, they start really late. You know, uh, Amrit Pal famously didn't even know what basketball was at age 18. And they became the national captain like four or five years later. 
Amjot also like around mid teens, 14-15. It's so in in many cases, you know, I feel very helpless that oh, I really wish Prince Pal had discovered the game at 10, at 9. You know, it would have made such a big difference. From your perspective, um how much of a challenge is it to sort of get players like Prince Pal who are discovering the game really late to fill in fill them in with the fundamentals quickly? You know, like you are teaching them what, what players learn at 10, 11, and 14, 15, right? No, so so here's the thing. I mean, there are just, of course, it's it's not a simple answer. It's not about there are several things. Oh, one is the ecosystem. Unfortunately, the ecosystem of basketball is not developed enough that what you can find maybe in the West. So that means that there's no competition for when you are 10. So that's also a lack there. Uh, there's also the knowledge of the sport itself, which is something that that we we are all working towards that, but it's not yet uh, known as it can be maybe cricket or football for these kids. Mm-hmm. No, so so maybe they can be a tall kid, but they don't know. Hey, if, if you go if you go to play basketball, maybe you can be successful there. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why one of the programs that we that we do there in India, which is the the, the Reliance Foundation Junior NBA program, is totally focused on that. It's from six to sixteen, and the idea is to go to the school, to go to the PE teachers, and make sure that PE teachers they are able to teach. Uh, basketball in the school. So then it makes it easier, no? Because if you have your teacher teaching you basketball when you are seven, eight years old, of course, you have the first contact with the game. And also, it's not that uh, you're going to start learning the fundamentals when you're 14. You might have like five years of uh, knowledge or learning that uh, it helps you to to learn before. No? And that's the, that, that was a little bit the idea to, uh, behind the Junior NBA program to make sure that, that there was a, a contact with basketball uh, before that what it used to be. You know? mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I agree with you. I'm pretty pal. If he would have been in the academy maybe when he was like 12 or 13 or on Jot, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe their future would have been different. You know? And um, yeah, so we'll get to that later. I think uh, I think what the academy is doing is really now providing that sort of hope that players will at least have a few years, even earlier, to, to their like development or, or these players can be scouted a bit earlier, right? In in Principal's case, uh, you mentioned some of his strengths, like you know he's this big athletic guy, he's got a good feel for the game. But specifically, what do you think are his strengths that going forward now in his career, now whether that it is somewhere in the G League, wherever he goes professionally, um, what do you think about his strengths will will be the, the best part in his game that 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 you feel will be highlighted the most in the future? I think, I mean, I think that one, and I was talking to Mirin and we were discussing about, about principal strengths. And, and I think one, one of the bigger strengths of principal is he's, he's fearless. Mm. He, he doesn't mind whatever he's playing or whenever he's playing or against who he's playing. He was at the basketball, the first basketball without borders global. He went in Los Angeles in 2018. He was playing against Sekumbuya, against uh, these kind of players. No, I mean, like like current NBA players. Mm. And he was dunking, he was uh, blocking shots, he was running fast breaks, he was playing one-on-one against with no 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 problem. No, sometimes players, they can get scared about, hey, I'm here with this. Uh, he's like the top prospect in the world for making it to the NBA. He's the top, top college player, top European player. He's like fearless. He he knows where he comes from and where he wants to reach, and and that's something that it's it's not easy to find. It's not easy mm-hmm. to find because there are some players that 
when you put them on the spot or when you put them like in a real challenging moment, they can they can feel the pressure and and, and it can really affect them. It's not the case of principal. Of course, he he lacks of uh, of maybe like uh, facing the rim game and stuff. I mean, he's something that he has to he has to maybe improve. Mm-hmm. But for what he used to be, I mean, it's a uh, completely different. I mean, he he has improved a lot. His uh, shoot range. He's able to shoot threes. He understands the game. He plays the pick and pop. He plays the pick and roll. He runs the court. Uh, and he's he's really athletic. The only thing he needs to do is, of course, keep improving on 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 his uh, offense and his production in general in offense. And and then we'll see we'll see what's the next step for him on the professional career. Yeah, he is. You know, uh, for 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 those of you who haven't followed his story clo- closely, he is now the third Indian to make it to the G League uh, after. Um, I'm uh, Jyotin Satnam, and 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 you're correct in saying like with each one the, the, there has been sort of like an improvement in some ways or the other, right? Like in the sense of Principal, he's he was very very raw. There's still some uh, sort of you know there's still some fundamentals. I think he still needs to polish a little bit better, but he's getting there. The, what I want to ask you is, you know, now you have worked in India. Um, it, it's been four or five years now. How long has it been for you? Four and a half. Four and a half years, yeah. So in your time, I'm, I'm sure even you must be wondering, like, how come all of these big game guys, all of these stars, they're all coming from, from Punjab, right? So, or no, I won't say all, but a lot of them are coming from, like, a similar area, right? Are coming through, like, what do you feel it is about these players from, from Punjab? That is, uh, from your experience, obviously, from because you have obviously seen grassroots pretty well in India over the last four or five years. What do you feel it is in your experience Makes these these guys special. All of them: Satnam, Amjot, Amritpal, uh, Principal, Palpreet. I mean, I think. I mean, of course. Okay, let me uh, before before I enter into these. Of course, there are. I mean, many players are from Punjab. That's mm-hmm. that's the fact. There are also a lot of players from the south. Yeah. I mean, uh, from Tamil, especially and Kerala. We yeah. we found like uh, really tall, strong players there. So I think, I think, of course, again. I think it goes to people playing the sport. I mean, we all know it in Punjab and in the South, people play basketball a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, much more than in other states. So that can be one one of the reasons why there are many players. So if you play more, there's more people playing. Of course, there are going to be more players. Mm-hmm. And there's also probably some kind of, uh, I mean, athletic ability. No, I mean, I mean, people is taller. People is. Uh, I mean, in general, and of course, uh, mm-hmm. no. It looks like people is more athletic, more stronger, more, more, uh, more physical there. So that's why maybe that's the reason. No, I mean, of course, I think there's a tradition of basketball in Punjab. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have uh, several places where they work very well. I mean, like for example, the Ludhiana Basketball Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are able to detect people very young. They have this tradition of basketball. So that also that also helps into that. No, I mean the. I, I would say I would say in general we found uh, we found talent mm-hmm. everywhere in India. I mean we have players from the northeast, from the south, from the center, from Punjab. But definitely, definitely we've uh, and, and now with Aman Sandhu, for example, that he's also a prospect that we have in, in the US. We found that there are many tall players in Punjab, and and, and they are the ones that they had uh, more success as of now. Hopefully, it's gonna 
it's going to continue and, and we can add more more states or more regions to, to that equation in the near future. Mart, we spoke quite in depth about Prince Pulsing and you briefly spoke about Aman Sandu as well, but there's been a few players in the recent years who've come up in the same same lens. Uh, Ryan Shunegi, Jagshan B. Singh, Sejin Matthew. These are all names that in the last few years that have sort of come through the academy, right? Um, I'd love to know your take on what you think their jump in ability has been from when you started to where it is now, just players in general, whether it's like basketball ability, physical conditioning. I'd love to know your take on, I guess, the change and the improvement that's happened in your in your time here. I mean, I mean, I think I think so. When when I first joined, the academy was not there. We launched the academy after I came, and I remember Karen uh, passing by there. The first time I met him when, when he came to the academy, and, and I think it was like probably the first week or second week that oh, we were it? we were there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so that's the, so the idea here is that what we had try and we are trying with the academy is to provide some kind of basketball training that wasn't there before. Okay. So this elite training and especially the contact with the strength and condition with the gym, uh, more hours of. No, it's pro- providing this kind of path for players that they were playing basketball. They were gifted, they were talented, but they might not been able to be in such training uh, so far. Of course, there are like great facilities and great uh, training centers uh, in India. But I think the the NBA Academy India provide this next step. No, so you were mentioning all the names that that they were joining us, and and. And it's it's nice to see how they had the ball. No, I mean I mean Sejin was there the first year, and when he uh, graduated, then he went to the national team. Rianshu uh, made it to the US. Uh, I mean the the feeling of uh, contribution to the national team or to the or, or to the improvement of basketball pool. Uh, that was that was uh, what we were aiming for, no. And and for example, one of, I mean, there are these two examples. I mean, there are many of, but there are two examples of of uh, players that that we saw the evolution very very clear. One is Pranav Prims. When I met Pranav for first time, he was at the junior NBA program in Kerala, and he was this skinny, tall player that he was playing. Uh, I mean, like forward point guard, he was like playing everything. Uh, so we called him for the ACG NBA Jam. He came, and the end, the evolution that he has made in the game, it's it's amazing. I mean, I mean, of course he grown, but this is not because of us. But he he had his first contact with the strength and condition training. He improved his uh, ability. He's improved his uh, three point. He's improved his ball handling. He has been able to compete uh, internationally, which is something really important for these kids. That he has. Uh, travel a lot internationally to play to against uh, against people from other countries, uh, and and when even before he graduated, he had the opportunity to go to the US. No, and this is one, and the other is a man. A man when he came, he was I think sixty pounds more or seventy pounds more than what he is now. So of course we helped him on that, and he became like uh, a good prospect like he's now. So many of these guys are, they have really, you know, the strength and conditioning part has been huge, I think, for them at the, at, at the NBA Academy because they just, 
as I said, like so many of them, not only do they pick up the game later, but they never actually figure out, you know, outside of basketball practice, what, what else to do to make their body ready for basketball. You know, it's not just about playing the game. It's about everything else that they put into the side. Um, Mark, I want to sort of zoom out a little bit and ask you more about, you know, outside of the NBA Academy, what else are your responsibilities in India? Do you work very closely with, with grassroots programs? Uh, I mean, for example, the Reliance Foundation program. Do you, do you act, actively go out? Obviously, we're in a pandemic right now, so the rules are different. But in, during normal times, uh, do you actively go out and scout players from different regions in India? So, so as, as head of basketball operation for India, I oversee all the programs that we, that we have. I mean, I'm sure that you are familiar and, and, and people is familiar about the Reliance Foundation Junior NBA program, which is the largest grassroots basketball program, I would say, in the world that we have. Uh, we have reached so far 11 million kids and, 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 and we are tremendous, uh, happy with the success of the program and how we are able to, again, what I was mentioning before, uh, reach with uh, teachers, P teachers, train them in basketball and make sure at least we contribute somehow to improve the basketball level in the grassroots in the grassroots community, so that's one. Then we have the NBA basketball schools, which is our pay-to-play program, where it can be more. Sorry, my 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 kid is uh, saying hi from from behind. He's just hello. like four months, and he's uh, he's saying hello to to everyone. No, so so the NBA basketball school is the is the second program that we run, which is a pay-to-play program. Is typically as we. We have in other countries that you can go and play in an academy or in a or in a club. Here it's more like a school base. So you just if you think that you like basketball, you want to keep learning on the NBA way that you can enroll on that. And the third program of us, as you mentioned, we have the NBA Academy now. So this is kind of the path that we have at the at NBA India, uh, trying to uh, trying to start with kids at six years old and then finish hopefully if they are. Uh, great or good, you know, they, they come to enjoy what we oversee. In between all of these programs, there are we do one of the things that you were mentioning is the scouting part. Yeah. We have people who is helping us in the country to scout, but uh, between our team, we do the scouting as well. If we know, if we hear that there's any player that it's worth to take a look or just have some practice with him. So then, then we have, we can send one of, uh, I mean, either our technical director from the academy, Scott, one of our coaches or someone from our staff to make sure that they, they see the player and see if it's, if it's uh, worth it to keep practicing with him and, and engage him uh, in further programs. No, there, there, there were seven ca- several cases of players that we detected. We saw that they had potential. We kind of assessed them to enroll the NBA, NBA basketball schools to keep tracking them and then uh, do the next step, which is the NBA Academy. Now, over the last year, obviously, there's been a lot of shutdowns. Uh, in between, I think, basketball operations started again, and then now there's been another pretty scary shutdown last last few weeks. How, how has the Academy coped with, um, but not, not just the Academy, how, how, have you, how has your job, how have the operations for you overall coped with uh, the sort of the, the pandemic, the shutdowns due to COVID. How are you continuing the academy or are you? Uh, what's going on right now? 
Well, so it's it's curious to see. It's curious to see because, I mean, this unfortunate situation that we are all living uh, has come with some some kind of stuff that we never thought before, and now it's here to stay. No, and and I think I think these all these online tools that we are using now. I mean, we never thought of doing something on Zoom before or having meetings uh, with people internationally on Zoom or this uh this kind of engage uh it's something that it's it's here to stay so now so now we had to be very creative and, and this is something of course that it took a while to to decide or figure out how we can implement some basketball program uh online but uh it came with something with some stuff really interesting like for example the junior nba at home program that we launched uh, in 2020, where our coaches, I mean, where they were engaging kids to do workouts uh, at home with the ball, without the ball, making sure everybody had the opportunity to be active during the lockdown. Uh, then we also create some series with coaches, with the uh, Indian Heritage coaches that we have at the NBA, like Roy Rana, like, like Naveen or Bim Bhavani from Oklahoma. They they were doing our sessions with the with Instagram Live. Again, new tool that we had to use because of the situation and, and coaches from all over the country were, were attending. I personally have been in some clinics with the Kerala Basketball Association explaining about decision-making or any basketball activity uh, on Zoom. Uh, and now the NBA basketball schools, we have detected that there's a lot of people who is engaging or who is even enrolling for first time just because we are online mm. and they are they are doing these online practices. And for the NBA academy uh, players, which is more like the elite part of it, our coaches, they are doing a tremendous job by engaging them online they are they have uh, several portals where we upload the, co- the the practice they have to do the practice at home and then they just share the results make sure the diet is also controlled of course it's not the same of course we would love to have them uh, on ground but i think we had to adapt and adjust to a new scenario which unfortunately is there hopefully not uh is going to go soon, but as of now, we have to be creative on the new new ways to engage with the with the players and the basketball community. Yeah, and it must be tough to make sure that the players, if they say they are doing the, this particular uh, whatever drill, if they're practicing these many hours, if if the diet is what you tell them that it should be, it must be hard for you to monitor to make sure they're actually doing the right thing, right? I mean, I have, I mean, the coaches, the coaches that, that they are the ones that they have directly engagement on a daily basis with the players. They are pretty happy of, of, of the, of how they are performing. I mean, Great. at the end of the day, the, the players, they understand or they know that this is uh, their future and this is also what they love. No. So, so they are even asking for more. It's like, Hey, I want to do anything I can to be to improve on on that so so that's the that's the kind of feeling that we that we have of course of course it's not the ideal world it's uh, i mean and for being on ground and playing a sport without uh being all together practicing it's not the ideal world but but again we had to be creative and you know make sure that at least they they keep up uh, practice and they keep working working out because it was the idea 
was the idea behind. You know, make sure that that uh, basketball doesn't stop, and of course we have to adjust to this. Mark, I absolutely loved what you said about having to adjust and having to innovate. And I've done throughout your life at, at various different uh, different points. I want you. I want to take you back a little bit to when you were younger and you were sort of coming through the coaching ranks, especially in in Spain, mm -hmm. right? So, like I said uh, earlier, with uh, with Karan, both of us are uh, big basketball fans, big fans of Spanish basketball as well. We we used to follow, you know, back in the day when Ricky Rubio was running rings around in uh, Juventud, Badalona. We, we used to keep in touch with, you know, the the grassroots of Spanish basketball because that's that's a program in which has always been a big uh, big name in Europe, but probably like is has grown from strength to strength over the last few years. So. Um, I'd love for you to talk to us about how the the grassroots culture in Spain has improved over the last, say, 30, 40 years to, to come to where it is right now and how potentially that sort of helped you in, in securing this role in India. And, and I suppose the, the lessons that you've learned that you'd love to apply in our country as well. I mean, I I, I, I would say that I would say that I'm I'm complete. I mean, I'm very grateful for what I could uh, live uh, in basketball terms here when in Spain. I mean, I've I've been in the uh, I mean probably one two of the bigger programs in grassroots in Spain. One is Barcelona, and the other is Real Madrid. Uh, and and with the Barcelona, I was with the under eighteen team, which now has, if I am not wrong. I think there are a couple of players that are in the first division, one in the second division. There is one player in the Kazakhstan first division that is playing the FIBA Asia Cup, Alexander Sigulin. Uh, and then when I moved to Madrid, I had the, the lack of coach uh, Luca for a year. Then now more recently, Usman, who is going to be in the draft if nothing changes this year. And from that, from that year... I think in Madrid we had from twelve players. I think I, I don't. I, I think nine are in in the first division or eight are in the first division. That under eighteen team was crazy. I mean, that was something that it never happened before. We won everything. We didn't lose a single game. We won the Euro League, the the Spanish Championship, all the tournaments, and it was it was a, a fun year with that team. Of course, Luca played an important role, but. But definitely, just to answer to that question, I think I think the the culture of the grassroots in general in Spain it's it's uh, it's there, but because of the ecosystem, no? there's a strong ecosystem of competition under 12, under 14, under 16, under 18. So so when you are under 14, Ricky, for example, I remember the first time I saw Ricky playing, he was 13, and he was 13. He was playing with the under 14. He was playing with the under 16s. He was playing uh, with the national team. So, so by that, that time, by 13 years old, he already had uh, contact with the best players in Europe, the best players in Spain, uh, the best competition. He was so, so he got used to, to the competition, to the high quality training, the high, the high quality games really, really fast. So by the time you are 16, 17, 18 years old, if you're playing a program like this, you might have like five years of like real, real competition with like national championships, national team, uh, state championships, uh, tournaments, 
so all this kind of competition also added to you are playing with the best players in the country in your team it makes you compete every single day so there are like 100 practices a year which you are competing probably with the best point guard or the best center that you can have in Europe and then you play against the other teams like five six times and then you go on the summer on the national team and this national team plays against the best players in Europe so by you are 18 you have already developed this uh, quality training, this quality competition. You you are already a elite player, no? So that that might be the difference that I can I can feel. Of course, because these eight nine years is what make the difference when you be, when you are nineteen. And this relates with what we were talking about. Start playing when you yeah. are uh, sixteen or seventeen. No, I mean uh, Luca. When I when I got Luca, he was 16. He was playing with the under 18. He was he already played with his Slovenian national team before. He played like I mean he knew everybody, and everybody knew him. And he was playing every single practice with Santi Justa, with Jonathan Barreiro, uh, with Dani de la Rua, and all these players are now pro players in Spain, and they are Euroleague players. No, so so if you if you play every single day in that level, it makes you a better player. Coach, I want to. Absolutely. I just want to time out and I have like two amazing follow up questions to this. One, you went from Barcelona to Real Madrid. Now, were you accepted with open arms? Did they burn effigies of you? <laughs> did, did, did they throw a pig's head at you like they did to Figo? Like, how was it? What, what happened? How did you manage this, this great betrayal? By the way, Koshik and also, I. Also, was it. <laughs> yeah. And Actually, were you, were you traded for Ante Tomic? Huh? No, 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 no. That was not. That was not part of the deal. That was not part of the deal. Actually, that was fun, and I was a, that was a question that people asked me. I think, I, I think I'm the only I'm the only coach in basketball that they that I did both teams. I mean, in the youth in youth teams for for sure. I don't wow. know about the, about the senior. I don't know about youth teams for sure. The situation was different. I, I was in when I was in Barcelona. Uh, it was by 2010, I guess, and we won the we won the uh, what it used to be called Tournage de l'Hospitalet. After after that was the uh, the Adidas Next Generation Tournament uh, Euroleague. Uh, so I won with Barcelona, and then I won it with Madrid against Barcelona. So my final was Barcelona Madrid, and then Madrid Barcelona. I won both. Wow. But but you know, luckily it's not like football. And I was not, of course, not even close to be, I wouldn't even say famous, I would say known. So mm-hmm. I was so low profile that nobody realized <laughs> what that, that happened. So that, that helped me a lot. But it was, I, I have friends everywhere now. I have friends, I mean, the guys who started playing, were coaching with me in Barcelona. One is Oscar, that he's in the first team in right now. And then the guys from Madrid, uh, they are assistants of Pablo. So, so I have friends in both sides, and and that's that's the the best takeaway, of course. Well, so if it's if it comes down to a basketball classical, Mark, who are you who are you supporting? I mean, I really, I really, you know what happens on that on the, I mean, on on basketball, uh, I really go with my friends or the players I coach. No, for example, I mean. Now, if you see the first team of Real Madrid, they have Usman, that I coached Usman when he was 14. Uh, we spent hours and hours and hours 
practicing the shooting form. No, so every time he scores a three pointer, I'm jumping. I don't care if he's playing Barcelona, he's playing Madrid. You know, at the end of the day, I care about what happens with him, what happens with Pauli, uh, how is Jonathan Barrero doing, how is Santi Justa doing, you know, how is uh, the coaches that I know doing. There's no much of uh, fun on on the basketball. Football is different, but football, I, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> uh, uh, so, also speaking of the players you, you have coached, uh, this might be an obvious question, but is Luca the greatest play, player you have ever coached? Yeah. Yeah. Is that is it I like mean, just easy? I mean, I mean Usman. I mean, I would say Usman. Let's wait for Usman. I mean, Usman yeah. is gonna is gonna uh, is gonna be is gonna be big. But it's not. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be Luca. But as of now, Luca is. I mean, it's a different thing. It's completely a different thing. It's one of a kind. He is so. So one of our um, one of our favorite guests on the podcast is another colleague of yours, Vanya Vanya Senevich, who's obviously knows. Yeah, of course. Luca from like the Slovenian days, right? So, so I remember uh, Koshing and I. We spoke to her. I think a year before he got drafted. And we were like all in. We were like, this guy is the real deal. Like, there's no chance that he will not be a superstar, right? Uh, and kind of surprised that he was still a bit underrated. Still, you know, went third, got traded. So, so honestly, to us, none of this is surprising. But at the same time, it's also like delightful to see like what he's become. I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, the thing is, it's super. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say surprising. I would say surprising how fast he did it. Okay, so that's that's the difference. I mean, I knew, and everybody that was working with him, he knew or knew that that would happen, and that was eventually a matter of time. What we were surprised is how fast he's doing all this kind of stuff. I remember, and I remember, I was talking to an NBA assistant coach the year previous that he was he was drafted, and I told him, "You just please take a look at this player." And he, I remember, he went to the room next day. We were having breakfast together. He came and said, "Mark, what is this, man?" I said, he's the real deal. I said, yeah. He was like, he's doing things I've never seen before. I said, he's going to be big. And, and he's, and he's, I mean, and, and we are happy to have him on the league. I mean, honestly, having him as an international player on the league and whatever, what is he doing? It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, and, and Luca, if you, if you see when the numbers that he was doing when he was young, so for you to realize how big Luca was when he was 14 or 15, he was 16. He was playing with the under 18 with us. He never went with the national team of Slovenia before. He was called for the Euro basket. I think it was the division B of with Slovenia that summer. The coach of Slovenia couldn't put him more than like 15 minutes on the floor because he was like scoring 65 points in 15 minutes. So he was like, okay, just stop playing, man. Just go to the bench because he's... So he was so dominating. Oh, and I remember the first time I saw him with Ramad, he was 13. He was a tournament in Barcelona. And he was already this feeling of that he knows everything is going on the court. He dominates the, the scenario and he, he is born to play basketball. I mean, so, so hopefully when, you know, when things are better again, coach, you need to get Luca to India. You need to bring him over here and like show him around a little bit. I think that, that's, that's your responsibility now. <laughs> we'll try. I promise you, we'll try. We'll try. I mean, the, of course, there's the thing is also for these players. No, imagine 
how hectic is the, the the life of like having 82 games plus playoff, then going to the Olympic Games and do the national team, then maybe have like five days of holidays. So I mean, we'll try, but uh, but this sometimes not that easy. Hey, you can you can entice him with a butter chicken. I'm sure he'd love it. <laughs> I mean, I I I mean I'm into that. Eh? If there's butter chicken, I'm gonna be I'm, I'm gonna be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just one thing quickly, Mark, before we move on to the next topic. Um, so I have, a, I have a friend in in Madrid who is a very, very big, um, not just a fan of the football team, but also the basketball team. And I remember mm-hmm. a few years ago when, when Luca was about 15 years old, it's his kind of duty to tell me about the up-and-coming um, basketball players. And he told me, he's told me about three names in with such, um, such affection, such... Um, Illusion, if you may call it in in Spanish, right? That he that mm-hmm. they're going to make it to be really massive. One of them was obviously Luca. The other one was Usman Garuba. And right now he's talking about this kid, Italian kid called Spangolo. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's amazing that you've coached two of them and you've possibly coached Nicolo as well. No, the thing, I, I, the the year I left Madrid, it was when Mateo came in. So I, I so him and 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 and, and Bukovic, uh, I I didn't coach, but I don't know if you watched the Barcelona Madrid last. Uh, I think it was like a couple of weeks back with Bukovic. He's he scored like oh, three pointers, and he's super young. So so I I mean honestly, Madrid is doing a great stuff with the young kids and and uh, how they how they are working with the youth talent, and Pablo is also helping them to to go into the spotlight and play and that's that's what the players need no i mean again you have to trust the the talent and and, and if a player is good enough he's going to perform well it doesn't matter how how old is he i mean it's it can be a matter of time there are players that they of course uh, they have their maturation point maybe later or or even before but at the end of the day if you are a good player you're going to be a good player um Coach, you're back in um, you're back in Spain now. Um, where do you reside in Spain? Where do you live? I am between Barcelona and a small city in the Mediterranean called Alicante. Okay. Um, so I was going to ask you when you are in India and you you know when you do work here, you end up spending you know sometimes it could be almost a year right until you actually get to go back home or something like that. It could be a long period of time that you spend in India without going home. Uh, what do you miss the most about home, about, about being back in Spain? I mean, the family, no? I mean, I think that's, that's when everybody who is abroad knows what uh, family, having family far and having the friends far away is it's probably the, the worst thing. No? I, mean, I mean, we luckily, when we moved to India, me and my wife, uh, we were settled in Mumbai where we have our office and we were super happy we were excited to be there mm-hmm. and we kind of engaged a lot with the community the people there and, and we embraced uh living in india and we were super super happy with uh, our life there uh and we used to we used to come home maybe like once or twice a year and and, and especially because of the family and, and the friends that's what probably you miss the most no were you able to find good uh, Spanish food or Catalan food uh, in in Mumbai anywhere in India? There are some places. Eh? There are some places you would you would be surprised. There are some mm-hmm. places that you can find you can find 
Spanish food. Okay. Uh, especially, I mean, in, in Mumbai, in Mumbai, I had the lack of a couple of places. There, one one friend of mine is a chef in a rest in a Spanish restaurant in in Mumbai. Okay. That uh, that was also that was also a good place to hang and to you know uh, meet some of the Spanish community there. We were not too much, but it was it was okay. It was mm-hmm. okay. It was okay for us. Well, and then the other way around. What do you miss about India now that you're back home? Is it, you know, Indian food? Is it the community? What do you miss the most about, you know, when you leave? I mean, I mean, everything. I mean, everything. I mean, starting from the weather in Mumbai, which I love it. Like, uh, this is probably the best weather I've ever experienced in my life, with the almost summer of like ten months. Uh, and this, this is this is great for us. Also. The, the, the friends the friends that we have there and being there on ground being with the people being um, traveling around india basketball all this kind of stuff is something that we really miss uh, a lot i mean food is food is uh is also a piece no i mean mm-hmm. you you can try to have butter chicken here in spain but it's not highly recommended so, <laughs> so you should avoid you, 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 so you should avoid that but yeah, definitely, definitely the people, no, the people and, and, and be, be on ground with uh, coaches, with players is something that we, we really miss. I mean, we, we are building a, a nice basketball community there. So, so it's, it's something that, that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's missing now. And unfortunately, with the situation right now in India, I mean, it's like heartbreaking for everyone. I mean, I, I can feel it from here. You know, and you feel it from the friends, that from the colleagues, uh, and you, you're trying to be, you know, as much supportive as you can be. Yeah, yeah, things are tough. You know, um, we were talking about this before we started recording, but almost everyone knows someone who has sort of been going through hard times right now. Um, but coach, I mean, we'll stay optimistic, and I look forward to you coming back to India. I look forward to you continuing the program. You guys have done such an amazing job. Uh, hopefully you can find the Indian Luka Doncic as well. And, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there to the next level. Uh, thank you so much, Coach Mark, for joining us on Hoop Darshan. And um, hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks, thank Marcus. you so much for having, having me. Here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for the talk. It was so, so fun. And, and we'll talk soon. So I want to thank Mark Pulis for joining us from Spain. Um, we are, we are back now. We are fast forwarded forward in time again, Koshik. We are back where we started in the intro. It, back to June 5th. Um, the, the conversation with Mark was about a month ago. And things have changed, at least in terms of the NBA, right? We, we talk about Luca a lot. And he is now in, in a make or break game seven against the Clippers. By the time you guys hear this podcast, the result might have already been decided. So, um, so we'll, we'll see about that. But Kaushik, before we speak about that, I, I, I wanted to sort of end our, our podcast today with a, just a little bit of an NBA conversation. Not for any reason, except that I just love talking about the NBA with you. So um, I want to do a, a mini version of what we did with Akshay uh, in, our last po- in our last episode, which is, you know, I want to ask one big question per series for the second round. I think this is a good time for us to do like just a brief second round preview. So uh, absolutely. I, 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 so four of the all. four matchups have already yes have already been decided. Um, so just for for listeners again, like by the time this comes out, uh, the fourth might be there already. But yeah, we've got uh, both of our teams current have have crashed out of the playoffs. 
Um, I don't know how whether you want like quickly touch on touch on that sure. and reflect on. Yeah, we, we have to. Well, so I, I was going to ask you that. I mean, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because for me as a Knicks fan, like it, I, I wasn't even expecting to be here to talk talk about the Knicks in June. <laughs> so well, I guess neither neither was I about the Lakers <laughs> after the first round. I guess so. Uh, but, but, but for me, like I, I, I'm, you know, obviously disappointed that it happened in in the fashion it did. Four one, uh, trade just completely owned us and has become has become like my future villain now. I, I'm forever going to hate him, uh, despite <laughs> the fact that I respect him. Uh, despite all of that, I'm very optimistic about this team because it is a young team. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of great young players, including my son RJ Barrett, who I have high hopes for. <laughs> and there's a lot of cap space, so I, I I know the Knicks will be back, and you know I really have nothing to to sort of like concern me. But I am concerned for you, Koshik. Your yes. team recently lost 4-2. Of course, the the, the storyline here is the injuries. LeBron played the series hurt. Um, and Anthony Davis was injured. Now I feel it was Jeff Van Gundy, if I'm not mistaken, who during one of the the games, I think was talking about Chris Paul and AD. He said something that has stuck with me since then. He said some players are hurt and some players are injured. Players who are hurt can still play. Players who are injured should not play. Now LeBron and CP3 played hurt. AD was straight up injured and he came out and played those five minutes and he really should had known they were, he should not have been there. You know, but he tried. Uh, you know, I guess he he gets he he heard the jibes from people. He he had to show up there. Going forward now, you know, uh, the Lakers obviously gave up a lot of their future to get AD. LeBron isn't getting any younger, and a lot of the players who we thought were the depth of this team, the Harrell, the Shooters, the Gasols, and even Kuzma, like they didn't really they didn't really show up the way they were expected to. What has been your takeaway from this, and how are you feeling going forward? Oh, I never. It's never good to to leave the playoff side, and, and uh, I can I can be as spoiled as I can uh, be in this in saying that because you you've obviously tasted the playoffs for your team for the first time in a long time. But um, I think, like in hindsight, this the season was just like crazy, a bit really like. No momentum for the team to get going. Uh, they were doing quite well until like the first LeBron injury, and then, uh, sorry, first Anthony Davis injury, and then the LeBron injury. It was just, it was just really hard to recover from. And I think the, the timing of of the comebacks and the timing of the playoffs, just nothing, nothing seemed to click. So in some ways, like all of those are like very ready-made excuses, right? But deep down, I think you've uncovered something that. Um, that maybe like the team had to confront in some way or, or the other. Like maybe the the supporting cast was not as good as as they thought it would be, and maybe maybe just maybe the championship window for like LeBron and AD as a group is over because LeBron's old and he he sometimes looks old now, uh, even yeah. if it's even if it's injury and stuff like that. So will he ever be that level of fit again? And and with Anthony Davis, like he obviously has an injury history. He gets injured so often. Uh, maybe last year was the time when like you got a good run, you got lucky to get a good run out of him without an injury, and uh, you never know, right? So I think in, in the landscape of NBA where like things change so quickly, I'm now I I, I think like uh, Zach Lowe maybe said it on his podcast when I was listening to it earlier today. He said there's actually more likelihood of of the Lakers not going back and winning than than going back and winning it. So that's just just the landscape of 
where the team is and where the rest of the NBA is. So I'm I'm a bit concerned. Like I, I want to see how the how the team sort of reacts and then how the team gets built for the next season. But um, I, I think like you can't you can't take anything for granted. So I'm a little little concerned about that. Yeah, you know that I've always been a big proponent of if you are if you have a championship window. If if you are close enough, if you're in the periphery of a ring, you need to sacrifice things to just get it. You know this yes. is why I, I I have been a lot of people thought, for example, the Bucks gave up too much for Drew Holiday, and I always thought the other way. I'm like, no, if if you're a small town team who has Giannis, you know, one of the best players in the NBA right now, you do whatever it takes. You make use of the window to win as much as you can. So I don't blame the Lakers, and they got that ring. Anthony Davis was, I think he was the bubble MVP in my eyes. He was really good. Um, it's it's weird to see you touch on this. It's weird to see LeBron look human. You know, it's like, like normally a 36-year-old player breaking down and looking old is the is normal. And it happens much yeah. earlier. It happens 33, you know, or whatever. Uh, so so but but we always had this idea that when it happens to LeBron, it would happen gracefully. It would happen smoothly, I guess. But you know. Um, I think you said this on chat, Koshik, and it's it's an older date. Father Time is undefeated, even against one of the goats, right? So um, yeah. Um, it also reminds me there was something I was thinking about, uh, and this will be a good segue to talk about the second round. Uh, now, apart from Kawhi, who is uh, one game away from being eliminated, but they're still, you know, again, we don't know by the time you guys hear this what has happened. Apart from Kawhi and then the guys in um, in Brooklyn, so that's Durant and Kyrie. There are no other player. There are no other major players left in the playoff picture who have, who have won a championship before. So we have all of a sudden in this new face league, where there's all of these. It is really a feels like to me like winds of change are coming. You know, mm-hmm. we have Embiid and Simmons in Philly. We have Giannis. Uh, we have Trey Young. Um, not that he's going to win a championship, but his team is alive. We have um, we have Mitchell and Gobert. We have Devin Booker and Aiton and Chris Paul. We have Jokic, and then uh, it could be Luca, you know, if it's not Kawhi. So it's and I am excited about that. You know, the, the fact that all of a sudden there's this new these winds of change are coming to the NBA, and um, it seems like the, the 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 folks over in Brooklyn are the only ones. Who are sort of the last stand of, of like the oldish guard, even uh, so. So why don't we start with that series? It's a series that is starting tomorrow, and I would say is by far the most intriguing series, uh, Bucks and Nets. I'll go as far as saying that this is probably the the finals before the finals. Um, mm-hmm. So I was trying to think of. There's so many questions about this, Koshik, but but the question I want to talk about here is. Um, rebounds. The Bucks in the first round were by far the best rebounding team in the, in the playoffs. Like I mean, by far, far, far. They averaged 59 rebounds per game. The next best team, the Knicks, were down to 46. Like that's wow. a huge difference. The Nets were down to 41.6. That's like almost an 18 rebound differential per game between uh, between these two teams. You know. Um, we know that the Nets are like a really efficient scoring team. You know that they have the highest true shooting percentage in the playoffs. But are they good enough? And you know they have all the talent. But but are they big enough? Do they have that that sort of muscle enough to overcome this huge rebounding disadvantage against Milwaukee? Do you think their scoring and shooting and talent alone 
can overcome Milwaukee sort of which I would say like I think they have more balance right uh, the Bucks in terms of offense mm-hmm. defense rebounds scoring all of that yeah that's it I think that's a really good question you didn't even talk about the biggest rebound that that Milwaukee did which is rebounding from last year's loss against Miami right and the way they <laughs> the way they thumped them this year it's it's impressive it's seriously impressive and I I think like we uh when we spoke about it last week with with Akshay like we kind of like we had a not necessarily a belief that it would happen but we saw that there was a possibility where it could happen but mm-hmm. still to see it in action the way the way the, the team performed i think is unbelievable and for me the uh, the matchup really comes down to the fact that milwaukee is probably like the only team in the east that has like on paper three players you can put on the big three from yeah from Brooklyn right in terms of being able to defend um, those three none of them yeah. would be able to stop them i think the brooklyn guys would still get like 20 to 30 points each but like on paper you can put yanis on durant on paper you can put middleton on like harden and you can put holiday on like kyrie and and that's better than any other team can do so i think like the, the nets will see um a level of opposition that that they haven't seen at all and it'll be really um it'll be really interesting for me to see if like they have enough chemistry as a as a team and enough sort of experience playing together when the stakes are that high for them to sort of pull through so obviously like individually durant achieved pretty much everything there is to be achieved kyrie has been involved in in this level before James Harden is obviously like talented enough to to make a difference at at this stage right but like the three of them together and the rest of the Brooklyn team together it's the first time something like this is happening and you're right like the the rebounding battle could be could be the difference but it could it could just come down to whether you know the nets can play enough of enough quality defense and will will the essence of of um the Milwaukee Bucks that we saw in the in the last round like are they peaking at the right time so uh, this matchup is like super intriguing for me uh, i don't know if i have like a a pick to make in terms of who i think will win but i'm so looking forward to this uh, series make a prediction come on who do you think is going to win uh all right let's make it let's make it a bold one i think i, I i'll say milwaukee in 7 yeah i mean i i'm not even sure if that's bold because the yeah. teams are so close like uh, i'm going to take nets in 7 so either way like neither of us are being bold right now we are sort of, we are admitting that this is uh, yeah. a, a close a close series um yeah it sh- it should be fun i want to talk about the other east series it's atlanta and philadelphia and this would have been a 4-0 or 4-1 but now suddenly there's a big question mark about embiid uh, we were mm-hmm. talking about AD and his injury troubles it's it's made me really sad to see Embiid have injury troubles because he he's he when he's healthy he just looks unbelievable and it's so much fun to watch a big guy dominate that way it's very in this old fashioned way old fashioned but he can also shoot you know it's he he's such a talented big guy um so you know obviously i, I don't think atlanta has a chance if embiid is 100% it's it's not going to happen mm-hmm. uh, so so my question is and by 100% i mean 100% healthy and 100% available in uh, in like what i mean is plays 100% of the games you know um what do you think is the maximum percentage of embed 
that Atlanta can withstand and win this series. Now, what I mean by that is, mean by that is like, can they win if Embiid is 75%? Or do they need him to be down down to 50 or down to 30 or or down to 10? Like, because obviously beyond Embiid, this Philly team, even if he doesn't play a single minute, this Philly team is is still gonna give them fits, uh, especially defensively, right? They have so much talent even without Embiid. Um, what do you think? Like, it, it, how much of Embiid can they withstand to have a chance, uh, the Hawks? Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting way of putting putting that question together. Um, yeah, you're, you're right in saying that. Like, if if Embiid was 100, percent like this is a, this is probably like a sweep or or like a gentleman sweep at best, right? Um, but having said that, I think like Embiid is so integral to the way Philly is um, Philly plays, and while while they got through the last game against Washington in in rather comfortable manner, I think like it'll still be a massive adjustment for for Philadelphia to play without him, right? So we don't know whether he's going to play. We don't know how how fit he's going to be. So I'm going to put that number at like maybe 50% because I think. Mm. Like 50% MB is easy enough. Like, yeah. sure, like Atlanta Hawks have have Capella in there, but like it's not enough to stop stop MB um, by any stretch of imagination. And I think Philly has enough wing defenders to trouble trouble the likes of um, Trey Young and and Bogdanovich and uh, and Herter and everybody else that that had a relatively sort of easy ride against against the Knicks. Right? Like I'm I was as surprised as you were. I think yeah. in terms of how one sided that series was, but I think like. Philly is a massive step up in terms of in terms of defensive challenge for the Hawks. So um, I think like if if Embiid doesn't play any games, then it has the potential to be a close series just purely because he's that vital to to Philly as a as a unit. But yeah, even if he's fifty percent, I think I think this is a Philly win. Yeah, I'm gonna predict that. Uh, let's just assume that Embiid is plays you know is at fifty percent, and by that I mean. Yeah. He plays every game uh, at 50%, or he only plays half the series. Um, I'm, if that is the case, if Embiid isn't available for every game, I, I probably Philly in six. I'm gonna go with that. Yeah, and, and like what an anticlimax it will be if like Embiid can't play the series, and then we have we have the Nets and the Bucks going in the other series. Like it's yeah, it's I funny. <laughs> it's funny how these things work out sometimes. Yeah. Um. Okay, so let's move on to the West, the one series that has been decided. It's the Nuggets versus the Suns. And I, for one, am really excited for this series. I have been on the Suns bandwagon as my West team for a while. And um, and the Nuggets are just pure fun. Uh, and and plus, this series like really presents you know a lot of new blood in the NBA, which I love. So, uh, in the previous round, the Nuggets famously didn't have anyone to, to like, Forget stopping Dame, like even pausing Dame in his way. He just did whatever he wanted to for most of the series, um, except for a few brief stretches. Out of all the teams that have progressed, Koshik into the second round, the Nuggets have the worst defensive rating. Uh, now, and, and especially they have trouble with perimeter players, right? Now they face another couple of uh, pretty talented cards, guards, Devin Booker and CP3, who can cause some damage. Obviously, we know that CP3 is a bit hobbled, but still, like, you know, I wouldn't rule him out. If he's playing, he's still going to be problematic for Nuggets. Um, you, you're not going to stop Jokic if you're Phoenix. Even with Aiton, as, as like, impressive as, as he's been, I, I have a hard time believing he'll be... Jokic will have too much of a problem with him. But I feel that the way to beat Denver seems to be through perimeter penetration and, like, perimeter dominance, the way um, Dame nearly did. 
So assuming, you know, I'm, I'm going to put the 50% number we put on Embiid to CP3 too. Assuming CP3 is at 50% and Booker is Booker, the team is as it is, you think that's enough of a perimeter damage to beat this Nuggets team to overcome what Jokic and the rest of the squad does with their size? Yeah, I, I think again, like it's a, it's another like really, really interesting way of framing what the series comes down to, right? Um, you're, you're spot on in saying that like they had no answer for for Damian Lillard, but like Devin Booker is possibly the same kind of player who can who can go off in the same in the same manner, uh, and he's showing no signs that this is his first playoffs with like, scoring 47 in a closeout game and stuff like that. So I think the the difference for me is it comes down to the fact that um, CP3 can defend even if he's injured, and mm. it actually doesn't matter as much on the offensive end. So I think that offensively they can be they can be really good and good enough to play against Denver, um, but defensively they don't they don't need that much from CP3. I think they're a really good defensive unit, and as hobbled as he is, I think he can contribute on that end. And that's a massive step up to how Portland was in terms of how they defended, or or like I suppose did not defend Denver, right? And and, and made it easy for them. So I think like I I have like a feeling that Phoenix is going to take this matchup as um, as sort of inexperienced as they are in the playoffs in in general. I think they're playing really really well. They they've coached really well. They have a crazy amount of intensity in terms of how they. They all have like a bunch of players who know who seem to know their roles, and that kind of stuff really matters in in the yeah. playoffs. And I think like Denver, maybe like they're just missing a few few too many players. So if obviously if like Jamal Murray said, I would have picked I would have picked Denver to win the title mm-hmm. uh, at this point, and also maybe even like heading into the playoffs. I, uh, I kind of spoke about that last episode as well, right? Um, but I think they just have like a few people to too many people missing and they got away with that because Portland doesn't play a league of defense but Phoenix does. Yeah, yeah I, I think I agree with you. I think this is the series or or, or this will be the late late in the series, the games 5, 6, 7 is when you they will finally miss Jamal Murray. I don't think, it, it's weird to say that but they haven't actually missed Murray and what he does for this mm-hmm. past month or so since he got hurt because they, yeah. they actually played really well after he got hurt. And in the series against then uh, against Portland, it, scoring was not a problem. It was the defending that was a problem for them. So it was, so like considering how how incredibly explosive Murray is, especially in the playoffs, I think this is the series they'll miss him. And I and I fully agree with you about um, Phoenix. There is a certain toughness to them. They are they are gritty and they are well balanced. Um, I think I may have mentioned this before. They have they they are big and small. They can play perimeter and post. They can play good offense and good defense. I think they are very well balanced in that way. So um, I'm going to say Phoenix in seven, and I'm saying seven because there's no the Nuggets don't like to things to be easy. Either way, <laughs> the Nuggets are going to push you till the very end. Like, yes. Jokic does not go down easy. That, that brings us to one series, right, Karan? Yes. Um, one series, two questions. Want... Yes. Yeah, we're going to cheat. <laughs> Or, or, or should we say cheating, or should we say it's it's bonus? We're going to give you guys a bonus conversation. It's bonus. Uh, since we don't, bonus. As, yeah. as Zaza said, we're going to game seven. <laughs> and and we're, yeah, so we, we, we're going to overtime, I guess, with this conversation, which is um, we will preview, I guess, 
Jazz versus both Mavs and Clippers. I, or, or, I have two questions for you. So, mm-hmm. uh, if it's Jazz Clippers, and the only reason I'm, I'm starting with the Clippers is that they won the last game and they have home court. Not that home court has mattered a lick in the series. <laughs> uh, assuming the Clippers win and it's Utah Clippers, um, I was I was looking at the advanced metrics of this first round so far, and they're actually very similar for both these teams. Offense, defense, three-pointers, effective field goal, they're both solid, both of these squads, and they're similar. There's one major difference, and it was kind of a big surprise to me. Jazz are actually the worst team in the in the playoffs in allowing points in the paint. Wow, which is that's surprising. surprising they have Gobert. Now I'm guessing that was probably the the the, the, the Valenciennes factor in um, for Memphis, because Memphis really they play old school in that way. Like they, they feed the big man a lot inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Jazz, like I think their 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 plan against Memphis was to take away the outside shooting option. Like they sort of defended the perimeter really well. Um, the the Clippers have actually been the second best team defending the post. So I, you know, from the Clippers end, what do you think they do? Do you think they go big against this Jazz team? You know, especially for like the finishing lineups. You know, like they go with Morris and Zubac, or they go with Ibaka and Zubac, or they play small ball and try to sort of quote unquote take Gobert out of the game. Like I mean, if you were Coach Tyloo, which which way would you go? Uh, you know, seeing this, the, the sort of advanced stats that I've just told you. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good question because typically they have they have gone big and that's worked for them through the season. But also, I think they hit a bit of a roadblock against the Mavericks and they've unleashed this like small ball lineup, which has had significantly better success against against Dallas than uh, than they thought. I think my my feeling is they will probably go back to being big but it'll mm. take them a game or two to adjust right and that that kind of gap and that kind of uh, the the ability to have a couple of bad games may not exist against against the jazz the way yeah. that it does against the mavericks because mavericks is like lucas carrying them but like they don't they don't really like defend that well they, they don't have much outside of him but i think utah is a much more sort of balanced team and um the set the clippers may not have enough time to sort of recover so it, it'll come down to like how quickly they can go back to being the best versions of themselves for that particular matchup uh, and i'm I, I honestly like don't know what it is right now uh, but i guess like if if Kawhi plays the way he did today then then it may not matter right <laughs> yeah it's the clippers are so strange because you can never count them you can never have hope they they love to dash the hopes of their fans but the West is so weird and wild open now that that I feel that if they win this game seven against the Mavericks, I mm. think they make the finals. They actually would be my favorites yeah. to make the finals if they win. Yeah. This, it, they're such a strange team. So I if agree. it's a Jazz Clippers series, I, I'm actually going to pick uh, the Clippers in six. If yeah. if it comes down to that, I, and that's more, you know, it's it's more of my disrespect to Utah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that. So, uh, which brings us to the other alternate re- reality, parallel universe, which is if Mavericks win Game Seven and Luca gets through. Now, Utah are better than Ma- in, than Dallas in basically every metric: offensive rating, defensive rating, assist rating, rebound rate, true shooting, like everything. But in Luca, Dallas have perhaps like the best player in the playoffs so far, or maybe tied with Dame, the best player. Like basically, 
we're talking about a guy who's having his you know 87 jordan kind of moment yes. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> like like right now he's he, he's been that good in the playoffs win or lose this series you know um so uh, this this is a, this is the simplest question we have a very classic star versus system series we have a guy who's better than anything this other team can offer but mm-hmm. we have a team that is so deep and and so skilled in so many other ways and and meanwhile you know the mavericks are literally just a one man team it, it, it they are the most one man team we have in this remaining in these playoffs right now um with all due respect to their supporting cast of dudes who tim hardaway juniors and doran finney smiths and that guy from latvia who whatever the hell he's up to like <laughs> it's a one man team so 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 star versus system who do you have and 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 how many games would it take let's just go all in on the luka luka train yes like, yes <laughs> let's do it i let's do it let's do it i i, I don't know like i don't know if it was on a podcast or if it was on a uh, chats kar and i said that luka might be primed for like a sneaky sneaky finals run yeah um yeah. It, it may not happen because like i think i think like all things considered like the clippers it's their game to lose in in game 7 but if it does happen i think uh, like uh, he's just playing at such an elite level that mm. it, the way the way the clippers have changed their like defensive system to to trap him uh, and to be honest like game 6 was like not that great a game for for luka and and that's because of all of the different players that that the clippers were able to throw at them i don't know if utah has that right and and he has luka has the ability to take rudy gobert out of the system like Yeah. Like most great players do when it comes to the playoffs so uh, i i can see that happening but at the same time like obviously like utah is a much more sort of well-rounded offensive team uh, and they will be able to figure it out um but they don't have they don't have a single player like like kawai or 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 even to an extent paul george who's been who's been much better this playoffs than than the previous few uh, failures of his or like pandemic p and playoff p and all of that stuff <laughs> so there's there's donovan mitchell of course but like i i, I would just trust someone like luka more in a in a playoff matchup so i'm going all in all in like if, if it's mavericks then it's mavericks in 6 for me i agree i think and 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 uh, you pretty much said everything that was on my mind it's going to be uh, it's going to be dallas in 6 so whoever wins is beating utah in 6 we are we, we are just laying down yeah. uh, ex- ex- extreme disrespect for the jazz yeah, I, and as, as lebron says as lebron who is now after the playoffs says uh, no disrespect to utah but just no disrespect <laughs> <laughs> so or, or in other words no disrespect to utah but disrespect to utah <laughs> oh man and the, the playoffs are exciting yeah so um I uh Kashi by time this goes up I think a few of the second round games would have already taken place I think much of our conversation may have been aged already but who cares yes. we got to talk and uh, exactly. that's all that counts <laughs> Thank you guys for listening Thanks thanks for listening everyone uh, as always if you want to reach out to us Karan is at @karanmadok1 on Twitter or at @hoopstani I'm at @kaushik7 the podcast is at @hoopdarshan hit us up let us know how you feel about the episodes how you feel about some of our predictions If you have any questions um shoot them towards us and we'll we'll shout you out and we'll answer them as well um if you know someone from amans better chicken uh, please please connect us because i think at some point we we deserve that sponsorship but um 
no worries if 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 not um enjoy your your own butter chickens and enjoy the nba playoffs and until next time hashtag #india basketball Thank you.